time for... We like bananas because they have no bones. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And this, this is... is... We like comics because they have no bones. Um, so here we are at episode two. And Avengers Disassembled is what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, this is exciting. This is our first full review of a comic book here. So I'm hyped to get into it. Uh, Today, we're going to be digging into Avengers Disassembled by Brian Michael Bendis, the writer, and David Finch, the penciler. From 2004. Yes. So we're, we're continuing with our theme from last time of kind of turn of the century comics so it was really uh, an interesting time it uh it was there was a lot of strides that were made there were a lot of i think mistakes made a little bit here and there but overall you know this is where we really started to try to make a comic book movie but we also just really tried to make it more of a serious thing rather than something cartoony Mm -hmm. and i think um especially with the book that we've picked for today this is something that is aiming intentionally to be very cinematic. So it, as far as the way the action is framed and how the dialogue moves and a lot of that stuff, that's very much movies influencing the comic books uh, in that way. I think it's very way, relevant so. for today as well, because a lot of what we're seeing kind of in the cinematic universe is taking from sort of what we've seen in this era, not necessarily all of this book, but some of but also just kind of this time in comics where they're like, you know what, we've done kind of the same thing over and over. We uh-huh. want to shake things up and do it a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, does this shake things up. <laughs> do we want to get into like writer and creator rundown first, or do we want to kind of do a quick summary of the story? Before I think we do to that. give people kind of a preview of what it's about and just understand what it is that we're reviewing so they understand okay. what the comic's all about. And then just also to decide for themselves before they listen to all of this podcast, is this something that you <laughs> want to read for yourself before you go into what we think of it? Or is it something you want to just listen to what we think of it? That way you don't have to read it if it's not something you're necessarily interested in reading, but to give you that chance as well. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you want to do the honors on the summary? I think Marvel's Avengers Disassembled from 2004, it's a very interesting book. It sort of is, I think, inspiration for what's currently happening in Marvel in 2021. Absolutely. Brian Michael Bendis, he's known the characters, and he kind of wants to put his own spin on it. But he wants to do something different that's kind of not been done before. So it's not like the only... The status quo, where you're kind of just, okay, the Avengers come in, they have a threat, they have to assemble, they have to take care of the threat, and then it's <laughs> over. This is, you know, it's called disassembled. So essentially what come, what happens is the Avengers come in, there's a really bad threat that's really more than they can handle, and it disassembles them because there's so much <laughs> going on with characters and Bendis himself, there's a quote at the end of the comic that says, it was nothing different than walking onto a playground, going over to some tinker toy and kicking it. I thought I was being awesome. I thought, here's some awesome book I'd like to read. But if you were enjoying the book the way it was, it was upsetting. So he, he really wanted to do his own thing with it, but with the understanding that if you're used to the status quo, it's going to be very surprising, to say the least. Yes. I, I would agree that it is jarring 
for somebody that was probably a longtime reader, because there, there are some things in here that feel like they're done just for shock value, although some of them feel very well informed by character and are kind of callbacks. There's actually a lot of callbacks in this that, that might be lost on somebody that's a beginner reader. That being said, this is bizarrely enough the first real Avengers story that I ever dug into. So um, it, it make of that what you will, if that makes me qualified to talk about it or not, that I started with basically the end of the original team. But um, I, I actually have fond memories of this era um, and, and actually the books that came out of it. So I, I'm really excited to get into this. Um, so I guess uh, if we were to put a numeric score on it, we're going to go with bananas because that is the theme of this podcast. They have no bones. So, and they have no bones. They have that much in comic in common with comics. Uh, so obviously they're basically the same thing. Uh, so that being said, how many bananas would you give this out of five? It's really tough. Like I think the story really was important and it really furthered a lot of things that came after it. Um, mm-hmm. If I was to take this one story out of time and judge it just on its own as a standalone, I'd probably give it like a three out of five. That is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason so, why we are friends. Yeah, well, this is going to be a great podcast where there's no pushback on opinions between us whatsoever, and we just agree. And uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, three out of five is exactly where I would put it. And I mean, it, I think it's what you said. If I had to rate the impact that this story had moving forward, that would probably bump it up a number because new Avengers, which is the series that follows this is excellent. And I really enjoyed that whole era for the team. But as far as, yeah, this just as a standalone, I I don't think I can put it above a a three out of five. So, and we can get into why um, as we go on. So just a little bit of background information on the creators If you don't know, the Eisner Awards are basically the Oscars for comic book creators. So they're held every year. They're named after Will Eisner, who created The Spirit, who is one of the really old pulp comic book heroes. And so they kind of honor him and honor each other by giving out Eisners once a year. So uh, that being said, Bendis has actually earned five Eisners throughout his career. So he's very very well documented as being like a a celebrated creator. Although he's also considered kind of a controversial figure because he is known for ignoring continuity a little bit while he modernizes characters. What he was most well known for before this book was his run on Ultimate Spider-Man, which was 111 issues the reason that that number is significant is because that is longer than Stan Lee wrote Fantastic Four, which I believe prior was one of the longest runs of any comic book writer on one title. So he's also known for sort of contemporary dialogue. Uh, Bendis is from New York, and that way of speaking, the, the kind of very, very fast, very, very snappy dialogue uh, is definitely a trademark of his writing. It's it's often very biting and sarcastic, too. If I had one criticism of his writing, I would say that a lot of his characters do sound like they're speaking with the same voice, but I think that's just his voice, the voice of the writer, 
coming through. And and it makes him a good fit because most everybody in Marvel is from New York. So there you go. Moving on to David Finch. He has been a penciler for a long time in the industry. He's only earned one Eisner in his career for a Batman issue that he did with Tom King over at DC. Um, he met Bendis when Bendis was writing Ultimate X-Men, and they became collaborators then and then moved over to Avengers. And uh, according to the uh, research that I've done this last week, apparently the first issue of Avengers that David Finch penciled, which is number 500 in this book, uh, the sales doubled. So part of that you can attribute to, um, it's a landmark issue, it's an issue 500, but also he was becoming a very popular penciler at the time. And uh, from 2010 on, he's been working exclusively with DC Comics. And for the most part, that's been on the uh, Bat titles as well. So Joe, if you want to go in, into uh, just some of the stuff that you dug up before we move on here. Well, I do want to say as a crossover book. So what happens a lot of times is when there's a crossover story, mm -hmm. um, each character kind of has their own story that's progressing forward as far as, you know, what the writer has in mind at the time. And one sort of interesting thing to note about this crossover book is that there was actually an option given to other writers to include ideas in their books or continue on as they were. So I think later with the Civil War story arc, it was kind of more of a forced, this is what's happening, this is what's going on in the world, and everyone needs to sort of get on board with this story that's happening. Whereas at the time that uh, Avengers Disassembled came out, you know, Bendis really gave everybody the option of this is kind of where I'm bringing everybody together. But you sort of yeah. have the option to decide if you want to hop on board with this or if you want to just kind of proceed as normal. And this crossover will happen in the interim with whatever story that you're working at. So I think that was a really important thing to note because it was kind of a nice segue. Whereas I know Mike's mentioned before, you know, when Civil War came out, there was a Fantastic Four story that was going on and it got abandoned in favor of Civil War and then it never really picked back up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to add to what you said that what you're describing for Avengers Disassembled, if you're not a comic book fan, you don't know. But this is there are only two times in the history of comic books that I know of editorial not making event participation mandatory. And the first time is this. Um, and it came out very well. There were some books I was reading FF at the time of this. Uh, they had basically one issue where they were like, we really could use the Avengers help here. And they were like, well, they're having a crisis. And that was kind of all that was mentioned of it. And they kind of moved on. Um, the other instance I know of is um, at DC, they did an event uh, a couple years back now called Dark Knight's Metal. And they gave all their writers the option of participating or not. And that was huge for the quality of the tie-in issues because uh, they're not forcing people on board. You know, they actually got some really quality. In fact, I would say probably the tie-ins for that event were more entertaining than the, the main book was, surprisingly. So uh, maybe that's something editors can hopefully do more in the future is not make event participation mandatory because it, it is really interruptive to whatever the regular story flow is in that book. But uh, 
Okay, so I I think um I think yeah the the spoiler free synopsis is basically just that this is a book about the events that broke the Avengers and sort of coming to grips with that fact why that happened and sort of ushering in a new era for Marvel afterwards. And it's a really um, important time, I think. And it's mm-hmm. important to note that, you know, it it is a crossover story, but at the same time, time tie-in issues are not required reading in order no. to understand what's going on. And according to the writer, you know, if you do buy all the books, obviously you'll get a very beautiful tapestry. So if you read <laughs> everything all together, yes, it will all fit, but it's not required. You can just right. kind of read this crossover as a an instance in time and still get everything that's kind of going on. Mm-hmm. And that's best case scenario for an event in comics, really. Um, absolutely. Best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I guess now that we've got that out of the way, do we want to move into... Well, I think we can kind of talk about the characters uh, a little bit without necessarily oh, I'm sorry, getting yes. into too, too many spoilers. Are yes, there, go ahead. Are there any characters you wanted to point out? Um, so there, there are a couple people that I wanted to point out only because I didn't know them. Um, I think, I think people that are familiar with Marvel Cinematic Universe, they mostly know Giant Man and the Wasp, even though, you know, we have a younger version of them, uh, in the movies, but, um, they mostly know Iron Man, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, Captain America, uh, She-Hulk, uh, if you don't know, she's basically uh, Bruce Banner's cousin. Um, she is a lawyer. She gets shot. She needs a blood transfusion. And Bruce is the only compatible donor. So when he gives her his blood, uh, she then is able to transform into She-Hulk. And um, uh, so that's that's kind of her she's in control story more, right? in a nutshell. Yes, but She-Hulk is nine times out of 10 in control, it's extremely uncommon for her to have like an episode where she loses control. She can just change at will. She still keeps her intelligence, um, you know, all of that. So she doesn't struggle with it as a curse as much as Banner does. In fact, it's almost like a liberating fun thing for like this kind of mousy lawyer to become, you know, the hulked up uh, superhero and go out there and stop crime. So uh, the other two I wanted to bring up are Captain Britain, uh, Kelsey Lee. So the Captain Britain, the I should say the female Captain Britain that I am aware of is Betsy Braddock, who also is um, Psylocke of the X-Men. Um, I had not heard of Kelsey Lee prior to this story, but uh, I found out that David Finch created her apparently. So my guess is that she's in this story because he gets royalties every time she shows up. <laughs> um, and then Jack of Hearts, I didn't know yeah. anything about. I, I have to be honest, I'd never heard of Jack of Hearts yeah, at all. I, in, I hadn't either. Anything. Um, so I had to research him to really understand, you know, where it was he came from and what his significance was. Because essentially they just throw him into the story as if you know who he is and what's going on. And his impact of what happens in the story is felt, but not necessarily explained. So for those who don't really know Jack of Hearts, his first appearance was in 1976 as an antagonist, actually for White Tiger. Oh, wow. Okay. He was on the Avengers and he was also, you know, partly on the Defenders. He was the son of a human and an alien. So he's got alien DNA inside of him. 
And kind of in addition to that, his father had developed something called zero fluid, which was an extremely efficient liquid fuel. As a young man, he was doused in zero fluid and gained superpowers, but he wasn't in control of them. So where they were pretty unstable the whole time. Okay. So he built a containment suit that resembled the Jack of Hearts playing card. So that's kind of where he gets that superpower. Oh, I see. The containment suit that uh, was supposed to control his powers. So kind of around this time that Avengers Disassembled came about, uh, his power levels are beginning to increase beyond the capacity of his containment suit. He's not really able to control them. Um, there's a situation in which there's a child murderer. So he goes in, he decides that he's going to take out this child murderer. He's going to save Scott Lang's daughter, you know, with all the stuff that he's been going through. He's living in a containment suit for 14 hours a day. Um, this is really kind of an out for him as well as, you know, saving somebody who's really in danger. So, oh, I see. Uh, he was destroyed in the blast. His, his, he was actually naked when he drifted into space. So it's kind of interesting in this um, book, he appears fully clothed. Not that, you know, that's really continuity. Maybe that's that a good would, thing. Yeah. <laughs> that you would really uh, nitpick necessarily. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah just kind of something to note so that was i really didn't know any of that going into this comic so when i first read it i was not really sure so maybe more diehard uh comic fans knew of him but that was something i had to really understand you know who is this what's the significance um so he he had, this was a relatively recent story so bendis okay. was picking up on this going into avengers disassembled as this is a kind of major character that had just been killed off in the Avengers. So he's sort of building upon that event, um, showing that this character is somebody who recently died and sort of bringing him back in a sense for the story. Okay. okay. Um, there's a couple other characters too, that I kind of want to just um, kind of add some more details to. So for example, um, Warbird is in this story and this, for people who don't know, this is Carol Danvers. This is uh, Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. She's in the, the Ms. Marvel costume. She's taken the mantle of Warbird. She hasn't quite been to that journey of becoming Captain Marvel yet. Um, so she's got kind of a lot on her plate. And I think some of her reactions in the story are really indicative of where she is in her her story you know that's really interesting because that's something that you would only pick up on because you are familiar with that character because that wasn't i none of that tracked with me at all because i was just like oh okay it's warbird i know that's carol danvers and i kind of like moved on and so that really recontextualizes it in a really interesting way the stuff about jack of hearts too because again i didn't i didn't know anything about him yeah, before this I, so. I had to do a little research to sort of understand you know where some of these characters are in their journey or where they came from or what they were looking at um, as far as perspective. I think one of the biggest impacted characters in this is Scarlet Witch. Oh, absolutely. So, especially yeah. with what's going on, you know, 2021 with the whole WandaVision and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so for MCU fans who don't know the comics, there's been a lot of changes to Wanda over the years, kind of similar to Captain Marvel. So 
Scarlet Witch or Wanda first appeared in 1964. She had some parents, her last name was Frank. That was the idea at the time in 1974. And then Magneto was kind of retconned to be uh, her parent in 1982. And so for quite a while, I think it's really been that way. And that's kind of the more widely accepted uh, genealogy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, comics have a way of kind of establishing things and changing things and then completely going a different direction. So in 2014, uh, there was a story that said, oh, wait, just kidding. They're not related to Magneto. And then another <laughs> story in 2015, the twins discover they're not even mutants. They're experiments. So that was really about the same time that the MCU was gaining traction with um, the recent Avenger stories and uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they show Wanda and Pietro, they're actually experiments of Hydra. So they kind of, I don't know which came first necessarily, but comics and movie cinematic universe were sort of aligned in that, oh, wait, they're not mutants, they're experiments, they were... Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was my at least and this is my understanding at the time Marvel was pushing the Inhumans really hard as a replacement for the X-Men. And they were planning on canceling a lot of the X books, canceling a lot of the Fantastic Four books because they wanted the movie rights back from Fox. And so their idea was we don't want these to be successful properties um, if they are not under our movie umbrella. And so um, I think a lot of the decision with that retcon was really financial more than story related. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, so. it's sort of unfortunate, but it's sort of interesting. But at the same time, like if you establish something for a character, you don't want to contradict it later. And that was yeah. sort of the, the difficult part was, you know, we've thought for years that Wanda and Pietro were, um, children of Magneto, and then now you're telling us they're not? Like, it's kind of hard to swallow. Right. So I think the fandom at large kind of still considers them children of Magneto, even yeah. if they changed that in, you know, recent comics. Yeah, very much. So, and for the purposes of this story, um, Wanda Maximoff and Pietro Maximoff are children of Magneto. They are. Right. Um, that's, so that's, that's where we are currently. As yeah. far as this story goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that's pretty good for a non-spoiler review. Um, mm-hmm. Just to kind of give you a gist of this is sort of our impressions of the story, what we think of it, what the characters are involved, where they're at. Um, if you really want to know more in depth about what happens, you know, obviously we suggest that you read it yourself. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't, have the ability to read it yourself and or you just want to hear our impressions of it to decide if it's a story you know worthy of reading this would really start our spoiler section of okay we're going to talk about the story in depth so if you haven't read it don't listen beyond this point Um, but if you have read it or you just want to know more about it this is the spoiler section feel free to stay tuned Warning, this is the spoiler section. Where should we start? Um, I, my first note... Start with the intro scene. Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my first note is actually on 
just the contra uh, controversy over the continuity in this. Uh, and I think, from what I understand, some of it had to be cleaned up later. But the biggest problem with this story, and again, this is going to be a spoiler because we're talking about a kind of the linchpin of it now. Um, Wanda, in a previous Avengers story, had wanted children so badly that she had conjured them up using her magic. Uh, then those children were lost. Uh, she had her memory wiped. But then her memory of that event was restored in another story. Now, for Bendis' story in Avengers Disassembled to work, we have to go into this believing that Wanda's memories were not restored. So she does not remember that she had kids. So this is probably the biggest um, like glaring plot hole that I could find that people debate. Uh, Agatha Harkness, who was a character on the, the uh, WandaVision show, uh, is actually her mentor and not a villainous character in the comic books. Uh, she's just more of a, a mentor figure. But she had wiped Wanda's memory. Um, so that's, that's where Scarlet Witch is heading into this. Um, so if we if we're gonna go ahead and get into the um, the story, yeah, uh, let's it, go back to the beginning and talk about Hawkeye. <laughs> it opens with uh, Hawkeye and Hank Pym talking about which woman they could never have they would like to sleep with, which is a pretty gross way to open this story with our superheroes. Um, yeah. And uh, Hawkeye, Quint he he's not, you know. <laughs> The most moral character in the world, but right. I, I guess I never really saw him as a sleaze or, yeah. you know, as Jen Walters put it, him being a pig. Like, yeah. why is this the way that we're introduced <laughs> to this crossover is, you know, Hawkeye's like, hey, I'd like to sleep with, you know, Madam, Madam Hydra, Hydra of all people. <laughs> and, you know, why is this our introduction into this story? I, I don't know. The only, if I was to venture a guess, I would only say that Bendis's dialogue and the way that characters talk to each other is on full display in this scene with the constant, somebody will say something and then somebody will go, what? And then there's another bubble, the next part of their thought, and a lot of the kind of interrupting and that snappy dialogue. But it it comes off pretty icky, in my opinion. Um and I, I hate especially that this is like Avengers 500, a big landmark issue. And the thing you see on the first page is Hawkeye and Yellow Jacket talking about which supervillain they want to sleep with. So um, fortunately, we, we move on from there. There's a huge emergency alarm going off at Avengers Mansion. And they notice that Jack of Hearts is outside, who uh, everybody had thought was dead. Again, because he had sacrificed himself to save Ant-Man's daughter. So uh, Ant-Man or Scott goes outside and basically is asking him what's wrong. And Jack of Hearts says, I'm sorry, and immediately explodes, killing himself and Ant-Man. So we're, we're like four pages into this and Paul Rudd is dead. So there, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it pretty much just goes downhill from there. Yeah, it's not going to get better. <laughs> so the, this is uh, a really tough time for the Avengers because this is also following a story from uh, Marvel history called Secret War. So there were some questionable activities that the Avengers were 
involved in Latveria, which for those of you who don't know, Latveria is the country where Dr. Doom comes from. So, That's going to be important later. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man, he's already under pressure due to the Avengers' involvement. There was a lot of stuff going on. He was trying to handle the situation. And because of what's going on in the story, Iron Man essentially has a relapse where he feels like he's drunk and he's in front of the UN. He sees the Latvian ambassador and he starts to go off on him and goes to the point where he holds up his repulsor beam and is ready to blast him in front of all the world's leaders. So this yeah. was really <laughs> a really bad time for him to um, to go into this. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the the name of this is actually a callback to a an Iron Man story in the '80s called Demon in a Bottle, and that's basically the writer at the time wrestling with Tony's alcoholism. And so at this point in Marvel continuity, Tony had been clean for years, um, and so it's a big deal that he has this relapse. And uh, especially in front of the United Nations, I mean, it it goes the dialogue goes far like he he starts almost using racial slurs, you know, for the Latvian ambassador and, and stuff. And um, I do think it's a pretty realistic portrayal uh, because they they show later Tony's reaction to how he's acted. And he's like, it feels like I was drunk. I don't understand. I haven't had anything to drink for years. Um, and so, so, you know, it's, it's just kind of a confusing situation for everybody where he's, where the other Avengers don't know if they can believe him or not, because, well, Tony, did you have a drinking problem? I think Captain America is like, I believe the man, you know, I, I trust him. We we're, we're allies and all that. So, um, and I wrote this down because this, in my opinion, was a little bit too edgy, um, <laughs> At the very end of Tony's drunken rant, when uh, Yellow Jacket is trying to pull him off, uh, you know, pull him away from the UN podium, uh, Tony says, "Don't you have a wife to beat?" Um, which, which for me was too a far. little bit too far. So I, I think it's it's shortly after this. So the Avengers are still kind of reeling from you know the the shock of the last two things that have happened. Vision shows up. He basically apologizes, says he can't control his programming, and a device comes out of his mouth, which spawns multiple Ultron robots. So if you have seen uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, it's it's that guy. It's the evil uh, robot that no wants to destroy all of humanity. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, but except five of them, and they they all immediately start attacking the Avengers during this after those uh, Ultron robots come out and they severely injure uh, Captain Britain and the Wasp, I believe both get sent to the hospital right after this uh, She-Hulk loses complete control of her powers and rips vision in half. So that's, we've basically had five traumatic events happen in a row here and so everybody's essentially just, yeah for people who've seen star trek voyager this is the year of hell <laughs> it is the year of hell yes it is <laughs> and everything that could go wrong as far as a possibility does go wrong mm -hmm. so i also wanted to 
actually talk about a couple moments that immediately follow all of that trauma happening. There is a little bit of a moment to breathe in the story where we get to see Hank visit uh, the wasp in the hospital. And he actually does seem to be showing remorse for how he acted during their marriage and stuff. But they then ruin it by having him have a little bit more dialogue where he's like, well, you were a bad. The only thing you were worse at than being my wife was being my ex-wife or something like that. And, you know, it's just uh, the original Ant-Man character never did shed that persona entirely, which I think is why they had Scott Lang, the second Ant-Man, to kind of, you know, carry on that mantle. I wrote seeing them all blame each other is tiresome. There's kind of a long stretch of like three or four pages where we've got uh, Captain America and Hawkeye and the Falcon and Iron Man and Yellow Jacket. And they're all basically just arguing with each other about whose fault it is or what what they should be doing. Um, that that goes on a little bit too long for me, maybe. Um, but uh, Hawkeye, I think, actually says one of the most important things what Hawkeye basically voices out loud is that they face life and death every day. And they're in these crazy, you know, mix them ups with supervillains all the time. And he's basically like, our perspective on this is wrong. It's not that we're having the worst day ever. It's that we've been doing so well that nothing like this has ever happened before. And so that was really interesting to me, him basically calling out the fact that something like this was unprecedented but it was also bound to happen because they're you know they're like first responders or people that are out there risking their lives every day the fact that some of them die is probably an inevitability you know and so uh we do end the uh first issue with a gathering of support uh by the fantastic four uh nick fury and shield and basically all previous avengers in a really jaw-dropping, just huge panel that shows kind of like a who's who of members of the group. So that was really a nice moment. Like, you know, tragedy had hit them and it was like, okay, everybody that's been a part of the Avengers before has come, they're showing their support. And, um, you know, just for anybody that's watched any of the uh, various media adaptations, just know like the X-Men, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, the Avengers, all these people interact with each other on a regular basis. And this is an event book. It's so you're going to see normal. a lot of people. Yeah, this is totally, totally normal. Uh, Spider-Man, actually, importantly, is a character that gets added in right okay, there. So the Kree come. Yes. And they have this huge battleship. And that's sort of the threat that the, the Avengers and the whole group at large that's there to offer their support sort of has to fight off, even though they're kind of really not there. Because according to S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, their sensors don't really detect anything. There's not anything going on. And they find out later that their ships were actually not made of any kind of known material so or sort of fake out. We figure out later, you know, what that was all coming from which it's wanda for you know if you've read the comic you know, oh, if, you, if you haven't read the comic we told you there were spoilers oh. here so you should not be surprised um, <laughs> but spider-man his first appearance in this comic his eyes are really big i mean like like 50 percent of his face yeah they're pretty huge 
And uh, oh, Daredevil has joined as well. There's a huge too, amount so, of characters. Um, my note that I put down about Spider-Man was well, first I, I yeah, I wrote down that the Kree attacked them. Uh, they say something about this is the day that was foretold that the Avengers would fall. The uh, Kree warrior that gets interrogated, uh, I believe by Captain America at one point, uh, says that the Avengers betrayed them. And it, that's important because Vision uh, mentions betrayal when he first appears earlier. So these are the first kind of inklings of where this is headed um i there was something that i uh that happened earlier like right after the whole group assembled that i wanted to track back to and the reason is because um it feels relevant to the falcon and winter soldier and some of the discussions that happened especially in the last episode of that show basically falcon and hawkeye and Captain America and a lot of these people have kind of a mini discussion about whether or not getting funding from the UN was ever appropriate, um, whether or not they should be in bed with governments um, as superheroes or if they should be independent operators. And so there's kind of this idea of which is more important, the good that we're doing or the institution of what the Avengers are. You know, is that name more important than? the good that we're doing. And I wish that they had talked about that more because um, it's actually, I mean, oddly feels more relevant in 2021 than it did, you know, in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was really a neat section. And Falcon is one of the people kind of involved in that conversation. So I, it's, that's not really the focus of the entirety of Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show, but I think it's neat that that discussion was in here. Well, and he asks the important questions. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Sam Wilson has got a good head on his shoulders. He's he's somebody that is not quite so larger than life as all these other people, and and can kind of give them that, you know, reality check when they need it. So, um, anyway, I just I also wanted to mention about Spider Man. It is so important that he comes into the story when he does, because he starts quipping. And saying kind of like mildly funny one-liners and stuff. And they are both good observations and funny, in my opinion. And they really break the tension of what's going on in this story. And it needs it because at this point in the story, we've had just, you know, death after death after death. And now, you know, this very next issue after Spider-Man enters in, uh, Hawkeye has some explosive arrows or something and uh i i don't know why he does this but instead of firing them at one of the warships he like grabs one of the soldiers with a jetpack flies up into the ship and it, all of his arrows explode killing him so now hawkeye's dead too so there's so, a saturday uh, night live skit with actually with <laughs> jeremy renner i know and, where you're going with this <laughs> and so hawkeye pulls out he has like a 11 or 12 arrows and so you know there's this huge attack it's the first avengers movie he fires his 11 arrows he's done so the avengers ask him like you know we've done all this work we've done all this stuff and what have you done and he's like i killed 11 of them you should be grateful 
you know, because he can only, he only has that many arrows in his quiver. If you watch the movie, you know, he doesn't have like in the comics, they actually show him and kind of in the, you know, DC vein, they have green arrow kind of similarly where they have these like ridiculously large quivers that look like they hold, you know, 30 to maybe 50 arrows of different kinds and so yeah. it kind of makes a little more sense in that regard that they'd be able to contribute. But, you know, on the cinematic screen, when you have 11 arrows and there's like, you know, 100,000 bad guys just kind of floating around, really doesn't make that quite, a, quite of a dent. So it's kind of nice to see Hawkeye go, you know, at one point he says, I, uh, I need to go get some more arrows because there's right. so many free out there. And he <laughs> returns with these gigantic quivers, which is really awesome. But it just seems like in all the deaths that happened in this crossover, you know, that were kind of staged in the way that they happened. This one seems the most, I think, unnecessary. Yeah, I would uh, agree. It was just like circumstance and you made poor choices and you just decided to ride it out and just blow up with them uh so that was kind of hard to swallow a little bit yeah there is a really great moment i wanted to call out the art um right as hawkeye collides with the ship because there's this look on captain america's face of just utter shock like how can this be happening i had that and same I think look that, on my face yeah right <laughs> But but I think he I think David Finch really sold it well, you know, just that the the heroes in this story are as surprised and horrified at what's happening as we are, you know, and we're we're really kind of feeling it with them. Well, After, back to back to Spider-Man and Wanda, you know, there's a certain point where Doctor Strange kind of comes out and he he's sort of the the let me explain to you what's going on. It's really all mm-hmm. Wanda's fault. She's crazy, she's got all this stuff going on, and she's yeah, she's crazy. So Spider-Man's like, well, she did date a robot. And everybody, you know, you get that like reactional frame of everybody looking at Spider-Man like, I can't believe you said that. And he's like, well, if I was dating a robot, you'd all talk about me behind my back. I mean, coming from a guy who's had like, I don't know, 20 girlfriends, I'm not really sure that he is the right person to make that sort of judgment call. But at the same time, I mean, to be fair, he has never dated a robot. So, you know, he does have that going for him. But I, I, I don't know. He, he doesn't necessarily have any hate toward Vision. You know, he likes no. the guy. And no, 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 no. He even says that Vision told Spider-Man that, you know, Vision was a he robot. He was a robot. Yeah, so, he's like, he told me he's a robot. Yeah. So I guess you can't fault him necessarily for that, but it was still kind of like super insensitive. But you know, Spider-Man doesn't really hold back his quips like that. So I loved that moment because I feel like it's kind of a meta commentary on comic books anyway. And just kind of it's kind of pointing a finger at the absurdity of we have a main character with magic superpowers that married an android. And yeah, so anyway, Doctor Strange shows up. That's where we're at in the story. And Doctor Strange is the person that really does the biggest exposition dump. So we we do have a flashback here that kind of sets up what the inciting incident was. And this is at the very beginning of, I believe, issue 503. 
Um, and I just, I, I had a little note here. They've got a different artist for a couple pages here and it gets really cheesecakey. It's a bunch of Avengers around the pool, but there's a bunch of shots of like the women's butts and stuff. And yeah, it's what the just heck like, was up with that? it's just like, why, why are we doing this while we're having a serious conversation about one of the Avengers, you know, breaking down, but basically what it comes down to is uh, Janet or the wasp is just having a casual conversation around the pool. She's had a bunch of margaritas and she goes, Avengers should not have kids. Superheroes should not have kids. That should be a rule. And you thought you could have two. And then Wanda goes, what? 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 She's like, what? Oh, what does nothing. that mean? Two I just had what? too many margaritas. I'm yeah. Go to so the that was, that was kind of the, uh, that was kind of the inciting incident, at least in the flashback that they show us for, for Wanda discovering. And then we find out Wanda went to go visit Agatha, uh, you know, and is asking her, where are my children? I think there were more hints that they dropped that they didn't show us though, because Wanda kind of alludes been. to like, you yeah. know, why do people keep saying that I've had children when I haven't? Mm -hmm. And they Maybe only show that us that one incident, issues. but yeah there there must have been more to it that we must not have read because it seems like that one event wouldn't have been enough to trigger the amount of violence that she brings onto the team but I'm, i mean basically at this point wanda is so far gone that she doesn't know what she's doing and yeah. so you know certain her powers are out of control and they have control over reality um so the chaos magic does so it's it's just mucking with everything. People are getting killed. Uh, it's very traumatic. So uh, the, I wrote this down because this was interesting. Uh, Dr. Strange's sort of synopsis of it. He said, she conjured the kids due to a deep need to be a mother, but then was forced to make it right. And so I think that's the, um, the biggest problem here is she basically had already been through a lot. She decided I deserve to have some happiness and she just used her mind to create it. And this is very much the, the idea that WandaVision picked up on and ran with. Now they went a totally different direction with it, you know, but the same concept is there of Wanda cannot deal with reality. So she's just going to change it, you know, and that's, that's really what's triggered all of this stuff that's going wrong with the Avengers. Cause now she's, just completely lost control. One question that came up for me with, you know, Wanda kind of being behind everything in this is mm -hmm. why did she make vision crash and spout off all these Ultrons and essentially vision, I think was pretty much dead even before she Hulk yeah. ripped him up. Like why I don't would she know. use her own husband as a pawn in this like horrible mess? Did she feel that he was somehow responsible or I don't know. Maybe betrayed that like he knew about this and didn't tell her. I don't know. But um, there, there is some discussion towards the end of the story amongst the Avengers about like, why did she kill some people and only maim others? That, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think Strange says something to the effect of just like she was just so broken. She may not even be aware of what she's doing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that's very much they really drive it home that like Scarlet Witch does not know, you know, what she's doing. Uh, Wanda is finally brought down by Dr. Strange himself. He uses the Eye of Agamotto, which uh, shows you the truth. 
Um, so, oh, I guess we, we should mention that Wanda actually does show up physically to fight the Avengers towards the end. But uh, her father, Magneto, shows up. I think his remark is something to the effect of, like, you failed her. No, he says, I failed you. I'm sorry. And they say, Magneto, where are you taking her? And then there's no reply, and he just flies off with her. And that's kind of where we leave uh, Scarlet Witch for actually quite a while in comic books. The, the House of M event does happen after this, but it is an alternate reality type thing that is then kind of undone at the end of the story. So um, it's actually quite a few years before we get stories where we're actually seeing you know, Scarlet Witch in her right mind again in comic books. So um, I, I wanted to talk about the Stan Lee era flashback. Um, I actually so like flashbacks at the end. I, I liked um, how we, so we opened the Avengers finale issue with uh, a flashback to Stan Lee's era writing the book when Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver first joined the team. And they're talking about how they're different and they're not sure if they'll be accepted. And, uh, you know, that, that hopefully this is a place where they can, they can find peace and they can find friendship. And, and it seems like a more, you know, supportive environment than where they've been. And so that, that really was kind of a poignant thing to include. I feel like at the end of this, just kind of that hopefulness that they all set out you know, to be an Avenger and uh, where, where it has kind of brought them to now in the story. And really where we're at now is just kind of resolution. Uh, pretty much the climax of the story is, uh, you know, Dr. Strange dropping Wanda and then Magneto coming and being like, let me have my daughter and leaving. Uh, really now we're kind of in wrapping up and kind of setting up the next era of Marvel. Um, which which is very much what the uh, finale issue is concerned with. So, um, and I I do I did want to note that um, it's it's a very dark story up until this last issue. It's pretty which is gritty. A, even which is a double yeah, like story wise and even like penciling wise. Yeah, art wise too. Yeah, it's there's a lot of dark red lighting. Uh, it looks yeah. like it happens at night. Um, honestly, it looks like it happens in a Zack Snyder movie. Most of it. I mean, it's uh, that's that's kind of how it's lit. And uh, <laughs> well, if Snyder ever comes know, to everything. Marvel, maybe this is a story that he can do. That's that's seeming more and more likely <laughs> these days, um, as his relationship with Warner Brothers sours more and more. Um, but uh, I, I did want to say that there's a really big tone shift in the last issue, and it really is an upswing um, after all the death and destruction that they've suffered. And um, I, I also wanted to uh, call out that they don't, they don't end the story. They, they um, don't end it in a way where they're really blaming Wanda. I think what it ultimately comes down to is they were basically fighting this threat and fighting that threat and it's on to the next thing. And they weren't really thinking about the emotional toll that it was taking on the people that are working with them. And so that's why nobody noticed that Wanda was hurting, honestly. I mean, and I, I feel like that's really the point that Bendis is driving towards with this story. 
they talk about, uh, let's see, there's some mention of how much Hawkeye argued with Captain America and how much they're going to miss that. Everybody is forgiving towards She-Hulk for ripping Vision in half, which is, you know, they're like, you weren't, you weren't in control. It's fine. Um, but the, the biggest repercussion for the Avengers moving forward is the United Nations will no longer fund them. And Tony Stark's reputation is destroyed to the point that he can no longer fund the Avengers. So this represents a huge shift in the comics to they're no longer this rich institution that's able to just do whatever they want. They have very limited resources. They will shift to a much more grounded team of kind of street level heroes uh, that are a lot closer to kind of the common man. People like Luke Cage, people like, uh, well, Spider-Man, uh, Wolverine, um, Jessica Jones actually ends up joining the team uh, moving forward from here. So this is this is really kind of setting up that era of, you know, having a team that is not rich financially and they're having to go out and choose to do the right thing anyway. So that and that to me is a really, really kind of a cool direction to take them story wise. I also wanted to mention uh, your favorite, Joe, uh, Carol Danvers, or one of your favorites, because she has a pretty rough outburst about how she she does hate Wanda. She blames her. She's like, I can't believe she did any of this. And she's going on and on. But um, like I think we will find with most hate uh, or, or just kind of knee-jerk reactions to grief, uh, it's immediately shut down by Quicksilver walking in and saying, my sister loved you. And then she kind of like feels embarrassed and, you know, stops going on her tear. But I thought that was a really good moment. I think that's the difference between, you know, Carol Danvers as a character that will punch her way out of a situation. Yeah. Whereas Wanda's powers mm-hmm. are very mental. Wanda's very emotional. She's had a lot of trauma. And her trauma feeds into what her powers can do. Right. (laughs) Which is a pretty bad combination as we've seen. So they go from there. And honestly, I think that's a great moment. I think it's a great character moment for Carol. And I think Pietro's reaction to it is very good as well. And she immediately kind of backs down and realizes like, whoa, okay, I've gone, you know, too far. But uh, we move from here uh, into several double page spreads where they have uh, the various Avengers asking, what was your favorite moment? I can't remember who it said, who says it, but they're like, uh, why do you think we all picked moments that we weren't present for? Did we like the idea of being an Avenger more than actually being one? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of a cool statement as well. Just something, a little bit of something to chew on, you know, how the idea of something can sometimes be more appealing than the reality of it so you know it's nice to to see that they ended it on more of a high note of sort of the nostalgia of what came before and then also showing that you know there's support for the avengers because at the end of the day they push back the big threats that no one else can handle for the greater good and i know that sounds kind of cliche but uh, but I, I think that's where the book ends, too, is kind of an acknowledgement of, you know, they, they have done good and maybe this institution needs to change, but it's not going to go away completely. And that's it can't. 
we can't yeah, that's we what, survive if they didn't exactly because all these yeah. alien threats and the Kree and <laughs> who knows what else you know comes by and attacks the planet like there has right. to be a line of defense exactly so all right well um i think from there uh once we start getting some comments coming in we'll we may try and discuss some of those on air uh but right now everybody circulate the links um so if you haven't which you probably haven't because we haven't advertised it yet uh you should check us out on instagram we have an account called boneless comics podcast so again the name of our podcast is we like comics because they have no bones so naturally our instagram handle is boneless comics podcast because you know they have no and bones. if you find any comics that have bones just throw them out immediately because we probably won't like them but you know what yeah. well we we like to give things a chance before we judge them. So even if they do have bones, we would read them and, you know, give them a chance to see what we thought. Yeah. Check us out on social media. You know, we're just getting started. We're kind of looking some for some feedback to see what you think and, you know, what your ideas would be kind of for us to review in the future. Um, our vision is just to, you know, kind of spin it fast and loose. And, you know, we like comics in general. It doesn't, have to yep. be marvel or dc you know that might be primarily what we're used to but we're kind of also interested in branching out and i think it would be good for listeners to hear too you know if you're a big time marvel or dc fan whether it's uh cinematic or comic doesn't matter but you know if we read something that's neither one and it's completely different you know it might be a good perspective for you to hear and might be something that you might be interested in joining or jumping into. And yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's DC had its vertigo imprint for years, but I mean, also there, you know, even outside of that, there's some stuff by image. That's really good. There's IDW, there's dark horse there's fables. Yeah. Fables fables is under the vertigo. Doesn't your sister like fables? So she does. I want to I want to set the record straight on this. My comment in the uh, last podcast was not to be demeaning to fans of fables, uh, but it was intended more as an example of some of the sexism that takes place in comic book stores. There's kind of the assumption that um, some of those series that have tracked well with female audiences are all that they read. And um, I mean, my my sister is a great example. She's very wide ranging variety of stuff that she likes to read. I mean, she's into Jessica Jones and Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. And then she also reads fables. And uh, I think there's some other vertigo books in there that she's into that I'm not even aware of, you know? So uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that was the point of my comment earlier was just, there is a lot of prejudging that comes into that comic book sales atmosphere. And we want to, kind of try and lessen that or keep that out of the podcast so yeah she also likes purple she does like purple that's very true yeah <clears throat> but we like comics because they have no bones so thanks for listening um we should probably talk about what we're going to review next time on we like comics because they have no bones it will be mr miracle um by tom, by tom king, king 2019 i believe that's right Find out next time on We Like Comics because they have no bones. All right. Catch you. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Instagram at 
Boneless Comics Podcast.